Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We are diving back into the book of Philippians, the letter of Paul to the church in, not Philippians, Colossians. See, these books, they get confusing. Uh, So it's okay if you're a little confused too. Uh, But Colossians, and so I encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. The last few weeks we kind of took a break sort of, or a little bit of a rabbit trail, because we had been, um, we'd gotten to the point in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul had told the church there and told us, be careful that no one, t- excuse me, takes you captive, or kidnaps, or seduces you, or takes you as a slave, through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. And we, uh, we, we kind of took that uh, diversion to say, here are some philosophies of the world. Here are some ways in which the world is seeking to lead us astray from Christ. Places where we can easily be taken captive. And so if you have questions about any of those things we talked about, from gender identity and, and sexual issues and, and politics and racism, and you'd like to discuss more, or you'd like more resources, or you just want to punch me for saying it in the first place, know that I'm always available to help you work out your faith and to understand God's word better and how it applies and how it can keep us from falling captive and becoming slaves to the lies and philosophies of this world. So we're going to kind of pick up there and move on. So Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be beginning in verse 9 actually. And so just a quick reminder about this this letter. It's written to the church in Colossae, which is in Asia Minor over in Turkey nowadays. And uh, churches that were nearby were Laodicea and Hierapolis. If you've read the book of Revelation, you would remember Laodicea, Laodicea from uh, one of the, being one of the churches there in Revelation. And, and so Colossae is, is kind of critical. It, it's got a road that goes through it. It's an important-ish kind of space. Uh, had a, a mixture of Jews and Gentiles and, and pagans. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church there to help them understand that we live even now in the kingdom of God's son, Jesus the Christ. And so he has given us clear teaching on the kingdom of the son, that it exists, that we are part of it. And then he's pointed to the eternal king, Jesus who was active in creation and is even now active in sustaining and holding us together. And then we see the pathway to citizenship in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, in which we understand that it is to receive the truth of the gospel into your own life and to begin to build your life upon that truth and be a citizen of the kingdom that really brings you in to kingdom citizenship. And then Chapter 1, verse 24, and everything that is to come really is talking about the Christian's life in the kingdom of the Son. 
And, and we were encouraged in chapter 1, verses uh, 24 through, not 23, but 33, I think, um, to, to go ahead and suffer for the sake of the kingdom. And then we were taught about the treasure of Christ versus empty human tradition. And then here in chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, he's going to tell us that our king, Jesus the Christ, is all that we need. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. It's in the Bible app as well, today's notes, and uh, the verses we're going to be looking at. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, the Bible says this, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So we have this, this picture of now Jesus is critical. We want to abandon the lies and the philosophies of this world and come back to Christ alone. And why is Christ alone sufficient? Well, he begins to tell us, here is why Christ alone is sufficient. Why the things of this world are of no value. Why the lies and the philosophies of this world around us should be abandoned because Jesus is everything. Colossians 2.9, he says this, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And so we, we want to look at this and try and understand that Jesus is not just a God. He's not just some sort of God. He's not just some sort of special teacher or some sort of lesser being. But Paul and, and, and Scripture want us to understand that Jesus is the entire fullness of of God. That when we see Jesus, we are not seeing some sort of lesser God, some sort of a deity on the ladder to, to deities and the good God up at the top, but he himself is the fullness of the nature of God. Now remember that, that Paul is writing this to a church that is struggling with false doctrine and false teachers. And one of the prominent falsehoods that they are being taught is that Jesus was some sort of lesser spiritual being sent by the one true God to do the work of redemption. Because they had this view that spirit was good and flesh was evil, and so a good God could never actually interact with flesh because that would taint him. So he had to create a lesser God, Jesus, the Christ, who would do the dirty work and then you had to, in knowing Christ, begin to work your way up the ladder of created angelic beings, knowing secrets and passwords in order to know the one true God. And Paul is saying that's ludicrous. Jesus is the one true God. 
And he's not some sort of lesser being. He's not a little bit. He is the entire fullness of the nature of deity. In other words, that word fullness is, is it's, it's like everything that there can be. He, all of God dwells within Jesus the Christ. And that word, God's nature, it's, it's all of the good deity, all of the great God that you want to connect to. All of him dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. Now it's, it's interesting, this word dwells. It's actually in the present tense. Now we know that, that Paul wrote the book of Colossians, this letter to this church in uh, A.D. 50 or so. Now Jesus has already been off the scene in the sense of resurrected and ascended for, gosh, probably some 20 years. What does this tell us about Jesus and his physical state when Paul writes this letter? If the, the, the word dwells is in the present tense, The full nature of God dwells bodily in Christ. What do we know about Jesus as Paul is writing this letter? Well, he still has a body. Now, Now we might go, what? I mean, I thought like when he scooted, maybe he left it behind. No, the resurrected Christ dwells bodily in heaven even now. And, and we can know that he is still incarnate, still in the flesh. He is, he's the first fruit, the first one who was to be brought back to resurrected life out of all of those who would believe on him. And so this is what we have to look forward to, is a a body that exists forever, like Christ even now, dwells bodily. And the fullness of God is in him. So just to, just to give you an illustration, this is, this is the false teaching they would have had, that there was Jesus and then the one true God. And then between them, there were other angels and authorities, created lesser deities, and that Jesus was on down the ladder. And so maybe you were a Christian and you knew Jesus, but in order to know the one true God, you had to have some sort of special secret knowledge. You actually had to know special practices and passwords in order to to spiritually achieve greater awareness and climb up the ladder of spirituality from the Christ who was a created God to the one true God who exists out there in his perfect spirit. It sounds a a little bit like some of the the, the teaching we get in in Christian circles nowadays to a certain extent. You know, you got to know this little bit. You got to follow this teacher. You got to speak these words and then you'll be more spiritual. These are lies that are still permeating our culture to demote Jesus and make him lesser than, to make him just a good teacher or maybe a great prophet or at best a lesser God. But you and I, we must understand that Jesus is the one true God in bodily form. The fullness of the one true God dwells within him. And so Paul wants us to understand just how special our Savior is. Just how important our king is. He is not some sort of stand-in for God. He is God. And if he is God in the flesh, come to save us, shouldn't we see him as the pinnacle of what we seek and strive for? He's not just a, a servant to make our life better. He is a king to rule over us. He is God in the flesh. John, the apostle in John 1.14 writes this, the word, God, the, the, the rational being of God, the goodness of God, the, the second person of the Trinity, the word became flesh 
He put on body. Not just in some sort of the way like I put on clothes, but they're not really part of me. But he became flesh. It became part of who he is. Which is why when we look at him now, he still has the body. He dwells bodily today. Because it's who he is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father who was full of grace and truth. In other words, the fullness of the Father is within the Son. They are not two separate gods. They're not one God that's a little less than the other. They are fully together and one. And the fullness of the Father dwells within the Son. And the Son glorifies the Father. A little earlier in John, John had said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no distinction in the Trinity between, between uh, the, the fullness of, of God within the Son and within the Father and within the Spirit. We, they are three distinct persons, but one united in essence, God. And so when Jesus, when, when Paul, when John, when they all speak about how the Father is in the Son, it's not just some part, some, some little bit, some, here, I'll give you 20 bucks to go buy milk kind of thing. It is the fullness of the Father all of his grace and truth dwells within the Son. Romans 1, 3, and 4. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh. In other words, he had a real body. We can trace his lineage. We know he is in the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. We see that Jesus is both a fleshly descendant of David and the Son of God full of power and holiness proven by his resurrection from the dead. And so when we look to Jesus, we are not looking at some sort of regent or some sort of lesser king who's been appointed by the one true God. But what we see before us is the second person of the Trinity, the, the one true God in the flesh, giving us all that we need, giving us the hope, the direction, the purpose, giving us a kingdom that grants stability and life. And so we are to look to him with that kind of love that he deserves, that kind of authority that he deserves, that kind of submission that is his and his alone. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6, there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. We have a king who gave his life for us to bring us to himself to make us right for relationship with the one true God who dwells within him in fullness. Here, here's the thing. Christ is all you need because he's fully God. If you want to find God, you want to find purpose, you want to find meaning, you want to find direction in your life, the only place to look is in Christ. There is no other place that has even an inkling of truth or, or goodness or holiness or righteousness or authority apart from Christ Jesus. God has revealed to us all that we need in his son Christ who came and lived bodily, died vicariously and rose again as a promise for our future. He is fully God. 
And so this is so amazing to look at this and realize that, that Jesus isn't some sort of lesser God or some sort of little God, but he's fully God. And then chapter 2, verse 10 says this, And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Isn't this an amazing picture? We see that Christ is not only just some sort of special dude, not only some sort of great king that we have, but he is God incarnate. He is the fullness of God. And he fills us. Now, do you, you see, if the fullness of God dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in us, what's sustaining us? us what's empowering us? What's available to us? The fullness of God. Now, it doesn't mean we're little gods, and it doesn't mean that, that we're like able to tap in and just start going, you know, I don't like you. Or, you know, uh, new car. Right? But, but, but it, what it means is when we're talking about purpose and meaning and life, who is the source? God. Who dwells within Christ? The fullness of deity. Who dwells within us? Christ. What does that mean? That we don't have to go on a, a pilgrimage to find the source. We don't have to be in a special place at a special time to find meaning and purpose, but that we are always full of the fullness of Christ and the fullness of the deity who dwells within us. And so we have available to us at every moment everything we need. Everything we need. Why do we look in other places when we have everything we need? Why do we, we go to... False gods, when we are filled with the one true God, God fills Christ, Christ fills you. And it's a picture of your king, when you have trusted him as Lord and Savior, providing for you completely, you are fully supplied, you are perfected. Anybody ever gone on a trip and you pack and you realize when you get there, you have forgotten something? Like, and then, you know, what do you have to do? Oh, I guess we'll go to Walmart or walgreens or some other wall and and you you end up having having to seek what you already had in other places because it, well you forgot to pack it the beautiful thing about this is you can't forget to pack christ when you're a believer it's not like you're gonna look and, and all of a sudden oh i need my spiritual toothbrush jesus do you got it oh no i, I don't i didn't i didn't pack the toothbrush you should have packed it I thought Shelly was going to pack the toothbrushes. That's how it, yeah. Uh, nine times out of ten on trips, if Shelly doesn't pack it, I forget a toothbrush. So that's the joke, right? But you're never going to be missing anything spiritually because Christ has everything you need and he is fully within you. He fills you up. He completes you as a Christian. Now, does that mean that we'll always turn to him? No. But he's there. Isn't that just a sad thing to realize you have everything you need in Christ Jesus who dwells within you all the time and yet you turn other places for answers. Second Peter 1.3, Peter writes this. He says, his divine power has given us, given us most of the things we need to just be okay. Is that what it says? No, it says his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us 
by his own glory and goodness. Who has called us by his own glory and goodness? Our King Jesus. And what has our King Jesus given us? Everything required for life and godliness. And where do we find it? In him. And where is he? In us. Filling us up, completing us, giving us everything we need for life and godliness. To live a life that is glorifying to him, that is edifying to others, that is fulfilling for us. We find it not in the next self-help book or the next seminar, but in Christ who is in us. And everything we need for godliness, the righteousness that we long for, the, the desire to defeat sin that, that many of us live within. We, we hate the sin in our lives. How do we overcome it? We don't turn to the next system or book, though they can be helpful tools. But first we must turn to Christ who's within us and providing us all that we need for life and godliness. Christ is all that you need because he fills you up with himself. He fills you up. Christian, I, I hope you can wrap your head around how beautiful and critical and important this is. You are not enough, but Christ in you is more than enough for every circumstance and situation. You are not strong enough. You are not smart enough. You are not good enough. But Christ within you has given you everything you need for life and godliness if you will simply turn to him on a regular basis. Now, how do we know of these things? Well, it is his spirit within us. It's also his word outside of us giving us clear direction and insight. But he fills you up. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 goes on to say this. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now this, this word circumcision, it hits it, it, it just it's like repetitive here in the beginning and and most of us are probably familiar with it it was a physical act in the old testament performed upon men and eight day year old male children and it was meant to to set them apart it removed a part of their flesh in order to set them apart as part of the covenant of god Part of the promised people, God's, God's beloved people. And Paul says for everyone now, male and female, all of us, we have all been circumcised. And we go, ooh, wait, no, I know what that means in the Old Testament. No, in the New Testament, it's something different. Because what it means here in the New Testament, it says not with, or with a circumcision not done with hands, first of all. So it's kind of like, whew, <laughs> Okay, so, so we, we're, we're all circumcised, not by someone's hands, but by putting off the body of the flesh. Now, wait a minute. I thought, I thought Jesus came in the flesh. I thought he was talking about, yes, yes, but understand that we have, we have some words being used here that mean this. The body of the flesh is essentially a picture of the body that is corrupted by sin. It is that, yes, Jesus came and he dwelt bodily, but he was perfect in his flesh. We, on the other hand, we in our flesh are corrupted and tainted by sin from the moment of our birth. And we 
can only be made right when the sin is cut off of us. When we become circumcised from the body of sin and are made new in Christ Jesus. So he says that, that in Jesus you were circumcised in a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh. And what is this? This is the circumcision of Christ. And, and we see that, that it is Jesus' death where he, he cuts himself off from life to pay the price for, for your sin so that your sinful nature can be cut off and die. And you can be made whole and you can be made new. And, and a beautiful picture of this is not only is this just some sort of fairy tale thing, but we are actually buried with him in baptism. Now, it's, it's important to understand that baptism is not a, a, a work that brings salvation, but it is important in the life of a believer. It's not just some empty symbol that we do because we like to see people get wet. And we want to see how cold you can tolerate the water. We baptize because it is a beautiful picture and affirmation of you dying to the old self, being buried, and then rising up again into a brand new life in Christ Jesus. And so the old person is dead. They are cut off. They are buried under the water, never to be seen or heard from again. And you are raised up through faith and the working of God. Raised up to new life. You are raised up in the same way that Jesus comes back from life out of the tomb. You come back from the death of sin into new life in the act of baptism. So I want to encourage you, if you are a believer and you've never been baptized, that you would pursue baptism. It is not just the next step of obedience, though it is that. But it is a beautiful affirmation for you. That you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to allow the old body to rule you. But it can be dead. And you can live the new life that you were saved to live. And you get to live in that fullness of Christ that lives within you. Raised up to new life. Here we see a couple of things that, that we experience life with Christ in a number of ways. We, uh, we were buried with him. We are raised with him. And then verse 13 says this, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when your body ruled you, when your sin nature consumed you, when it was your king, he made you alive with him. So we are alive with him. The, the old way of life is cut off in baptism. We are raised up to new life. And he makes us alive and full and able through himself. He does the work for us. Through the circumcision of Christ, you are dead to sin and raised up to life. And baptism if you've never participated in it, is that physical act that affirms your death to the old way of life, your spiritual circumcision in Christ, and you're being raised up to new life. Would you consider baptism if you haven't been baptized? But what we want to see is this, that you are freed from 
spiritual death. Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1 is another book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul as well. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, here is what he says about us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He doesn't say that your trespasses and sins made life a little hard. Doesn't say it was a little difficult. Doesn't say God was a little unhappy with you in moments. But he says you were dead in sin. And so in Christ Jesus, we are freed from spiritual death, the death that sin brings. It is cut off from us in circumcision as represented through baptism. We are freed from spiritual death so that when we die physically, we will not experience eternal death. Now, a lot of times we tend to think that the funeral that we might attend for someone is the last time they will die. But if they have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Scripture tells us that everyone who has not received Jesus will die not just once physically, but they will die a second time eternally. Revelation chapter 20 Verses 14 and 15. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now whose names are not written in the book of life according to scripture? It's those who have not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who have not submitted themselves to his kingdom and his kingship. And so in Christ, we are freed from sin and spiritual death so that in physical death, we will not ultimately experience eternal death, the second death, which is the lake of fire. And so it's critically important that we understand that, that as bad as physical death is for all of us, and as much as we mourn someone passing from this physical body, there is a greater death that awaits all those who have not received Christ Jesus as Lord. And we must be aware of it for ourselves and for the sake of others. When we prayed earlier about all of these houses and about all the people in the annoying, or annoying people in cars, maybe, uh, maybe it's the cars that are annoying. Anyway, I hate the traffic. There's going to be more and more of it as these houses fill up, right? That we tend to forget that every one of those people is an eternal person. They're not just here for a short time and then gone there will come a time where they all will be resurrected to life. Those who believe on Christ Jesus to eternal reward in his presence. And those who have not received Jesus Christ to eternal death, the second death in the lake of fire. And scripture tells us this is a reality. This is not some sort of fairy tale or myth. This is what will happen. And if that is the case, we should be awake to the fact that many, in fact, in fact, statistically, you pass 20 cars, you pass 20 cars, only two of them have people that are on their way to heaven. Right? You, you, you go by 100 houses, only 20 of those houses 
have Christians in them. So that means you go buy 10 houses, maybe two houses have Christians in them. And that should wake us up. 80% of the people that we are around us right now will experience eternal death. Now in Christ, we are freed from spiritual death so that in physical death, we have no longer anything to fear when it comes to eternal death. Instead, we will be eternally alive in Christ Jesus. And so... Christ is all you need because he frees you from sin. He frees you from sin. He frees you from death. He frees you from the fears that come when you look at a future that's uncertain because in Christ Jesus, you are saved. In Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven. In Christ Jesus, you have been given life. In Christ Jesus, you are genuinely free when he is your king. And then we have this, verses 13 and 14 together. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. So we see that he has freed us from the fear of death by giving us new life, but he's also done something else. He has forgiven our trespasses, our sins. The things that we have done in rebellion against him have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. It says he erased the certificate of death. If you, if you can, you can picture this as an IOU. I, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and in our youth room we had a refrigerator. And in the refrigerator, it was always stocked with sodas down below and ice cream stuff in the freezer. And it was an honor system. You came in, you put your money in the deli tray, right? And then you got what you wanted. And I can't tell you how many times I went in there to count the money. And there were stacks of IOUs from students. And and it's just like, I don't have any money this week. Yeah, just put, put an IOU in, I guess. And do you know how many of those we got the money for? Yeah, pretty much none. And it's not because the kids didn't have the money. Many of them drove better cars than I did. But, but, but they, they realized, okay, I can't afford it. Here's a debt. And, and those debts were meaningless to them. I owe you. But see, the thing is, is the debt that we owe is our very life. Our rebellion against our creator and our king deserves our very life as payment for that debt, which is the second death. That's what the second death is, is the payment of the debt of sin. And the thing that pays the debt is life. And if it's, if it's you alone, it's your life that goes to pay the debt. And if your life goes to pay the debt, then you don't have life anymore but Jesus he came and he lived and he gave himself to pay the price for us our sins are forgiven our debt is paid he erased the certificate of debt he took the IOU the one that all of us have from the moment we we first rebel against God we have an IOU that says I owe you my soul in eternal punishment 
to pay the price for my sin. That's the IOU. Every one of us who has not received Jesus, there is still in your name a debt certificate that says, I owe you my eternal soul in punishment for the price of my sin. But Jesus did what? He took that certificate of debt when we believe on him as our Lord and Savior, and it's erased. What do we owe now? Nothing but ourselves and our appreciation and our love for him. It says, not only did he erase the certificate of debt, but it it says he took it away by nailing it to the cross. If you look over here at our cross, uh, what do you see up there at the top? There's a sign. And what does it say? It says, King of the Jews. And we know it wouldn't have been in English on Jesus' cross. We see that that, um, Pilate actually put it up there in, in, in different languages, uh, and so that everyone could read it. And, and it said, uh, Jesus, the, the king of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And what was that sign? Was that some sort of declaration as to who Jesus was because nobody knew? No, that was the accusation against him. That Jesus was crucified with a sign above his head. That, that the sign was not a declaration of, yay, he's everybody's savior. It was... This is the crime that we're crucifying him for. He claims to be the king of the Jews. Now, we know in retrospect, we look back and go, God is so good. That sign meant more than they even realized. But Jesus also took with him to the cross all of our sin debt. And it was nailed to the cross above his head. And he took on our behalf the declaration of sin And suffered the punishment for it. Just like the sign. That was the the reason he was being crucified. You can see in your mind's eye. Your sins written out on a sign above his head. And that's why he was being crucified. For your wrongdoing. Nailed to the cross above him. And the price was paid. The punishment was fulfilled. The debt was erased. 1 John 1.9 John writes this, if we confess our sins, he'll probably hold them against us and tell us how bad we are. Now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is your king and he is all you need because he forgives you. When you trust him as your Lord and Savior. He forgives you. Colossians 2.15 goes on to say this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. And so we see that, that we talk about the rulers and authorities. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 talks about how there are principalities and rulers and authorities, demons and spiritual forces that we are fighting against as Christians. And, and Colossians 2 tells us that Jesus defeated all of the angelic beings, demonic, good, bad, all of them. He, they are defeated. They are disarmed. They are disgraced. 
There is no hierarchy between Jesus and the one true God of, of spiritual created beings. All of those are nothing and nil because Jesus is the one true God. And he has triumphed over them. He has taken from them all authority. He has disgraced them and shown that they are nothing. Which is why Christians don't need to be but so afraid of things like demons. Right? Should we know that, that there is a demonic realm that we are battling against spiritual forces? Absolutely. But in the life of those who are citizens of the king, guess what? They are disarmed and they are disgraced in our lives because he is victorious he has triumphed over them the 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 last phrase there he triumphed over them in him um it's kind of a hard bit of greek to translate some of your translations might say this that he triumphed over them in the cross and that's a, a, a really good translation and actually i like it better because it paints a picture of where jesus won the victory on the cross. And he is victorious. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not who keeps us well enough until we die and go to heaven. Not who says, well, you know, things are going to be okay. I'll make it better someday. But even now in this moment, because of the promise of resurrection, because of the hope of what is before us, we can be victorious in our spiritual lives, in our families, in living out Christ likeness at work and on the road, even with all these new cars coming in we can still be victorious. Brothers and sisters, Christ is all you need. He is fully God. If you, you, there's, there's nowhere else to look for spiritual truth. There's nowhere else to look for your creator, for the one who sustains you. It's, it's all in Christ Jesus. He is fully God and he fills you. He's given you all that you need for life and godliness. And he frees you from sin and death and raises you up to new life and makes it possible for you to no longer walk around in fear of what is to come because he's already freed you from the consequences. He's already freed you from, from the debt and the fear and the, oh my gosh, what about tomorrow? Because he's He's given you new life. John writes uh, in, in 1 John chapter 4, he says this, uh, there is no fear in love because fear has to do with consequences. In other words, when we know the love of God, we're free and we're no longer afraid because we're not afraid of consequences because what we know is he loves us and will sustain us. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you're still struggling with fear about the future, fear about eternity, fear about your own salvation, it's because you don't fully understand the freedom and the love that is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't look anywhere else. He frees you. He forgives you. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you make him the king of your life and submit to him as your authority, he forgives your sin and holds it against you no more. And then finally, he is victorious. 
And so we all want to follow the winner, don't we? We all want to serve the winner. Jesus is the winner. You get to the Super Bowl, everybody becomes a fan of the team they think is going to win, don't they? Listen, we already know who won. It's Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the King, whom we have the privilege of serving when we trust on Him as our Savior. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. The prophet says this, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, does it? Except what the prophet is doing here is he's, he's calling God's people to come back to God. Calling God's people to come to a place where every need has already been met. You say you're thirsty, come and drink. You don't have, you don't have silver, that's okay. Come and buy what you need and eat. Well, what am I going to buy it with? Actually, you don't need anything. Just come and receive it. Buy it from me. Buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. But what do you have to do in buying? You've got to go and you've got to take and grab a hold of, don't you? You've got to put it in your cart. <laughs> You've got to go through the checkout. Boop. All right, what's the final cost? Nothing. But you've got to make the move to buy. And then, 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 then the prophet says this, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Here you have everything you need provided for you. And yet you take and you toil away and you strive and you seek and you suffer on things that are meaningless. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Jesus is all you need. And he has provided all that you need. Why do you look other places for things that only he can give you? Revelation 22, 17, both the spirit and the bride say, the spirit of God and the bride, the church say to you, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely church where are you looking for satisfaction where are you pursuing meaning you see we, we've already been warned don't fall prey to the lies of this world the empty and vain philosophies don't all of a sudden you'll be walking along and realize that you're kidnapped and captive don't do that how do you avoid that? Pursue Jesus with all that you are. Look in the only place where there's the real answers that you need. We have a choice today, all of us. Will we pursue the rulers and authorities that Jesus has defeated with their reasonable lies? And that's how scripture talks about the lies of this world. They're perfectly reasonable. Work 80 hours a week and provide for your family. Perfectly reasonable. Oh, but your children will grow up hating you because you were never home. 
go ahead. You need the bigger car because it's safer. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's a vanity thing. You need the bigger house, do you? How many rooms will you use and how many will you fill with junk? We're really good at junk filling, just by the way. And anyway, um, so, so listen, when I say these things, it's not just you, it's me. Well, you deserve entertainment. How much entertainment do you really think you need? They're all reasonable lies, aren't they? But they lead us to captivity through philosophy and empty deceit. Or are you going to choose to come to the one who can give you all you need? Christ and Christ alone. Because in Christ, scripture tells us, Colossians has told us, there is all wisdom. Every right answer is in Jesus and in his word and in his ways. There is the fullness of deity. There is no other God anywhere else, period. And he will fill you and he will free you and he will forgive you and there will be victory in Christ Jesus. So three questions as we wrap up this morning. Have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? First thing, if you have not received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have not turned, him, turned your life over to him and said, you are my king and I will follow after you, you are not saved. And his fullness is not accessible to you yet. And so it's critically important that you talk to someone today or you make a choice if you understand to follow after Christ Jesus as Lord. So that's the first question. And if you have, the next question is, what areas of life are you buying the lies and you are captive to the elements of this world? Because I think that all of us could probably look at certain aspects of our life where we have bought into what the world has told us and said, this is how it has to be, even if it's counter to what's the truth of Jesus. And we're pursuing things that will, have, will only lead to captivity. That will only lead to death and destruction and hurt in our lives. And I'll, I, I got a, a quick confession to make or a, a way to explain it to you to where you see it. That a couple weeks ago, you guys saw me get um, upset. <laughs> Sorry. So first of all, <laughs> thanks Jeff, laughing already. But I laughed. Um, I don't like emotion, so that's always hard. Uh, but, but the truth is, is I, I was genuinely upset about where we stood as a church or, or the things that we're not doing that I think are important. But I also would say that I have, in that moment, I bought into the lie that we have to do things perfectly and according to somebody else's standards. And what I mean by that is, Christ is at work within us. And I can see it every, every Sunday, every day that we're together. And to say that, well, he can only do specific things through specific ministries is to put my hope in those ministries and not in Christ. Do I think we should do those ministries and do them well? You betcha. And I still want some of you to be volunteering for things differently. But is that where our hope is? No. My hope is in Christ, not in how many of you will volunteer for children's ministry. Now, I, I think being upset was valid. But my hopelessness that I felt in that moment 
was actually me buying into the philosophies of the world and being held captive by them instead of trusting Christ and his fullness for the provision. I hope you can maybe take that and look at an aspect of your life and say, is there somewhere where I'm buying into things and allowing myself to be defeated, to be discouraged, to be destroyed because I'm listening to what the lies of the world are? They're perfectly reasonable, but they're still lies instead of following after Jesus. And then finally, if you were to take one area of your life where you know you've bought into the lies of this world, whether it's your work, your, your, what you're buying, how you're entertaining yourself or your family, what you're doing with your, your resources, one area of life where you've bought into the lie, and what if you would begin to live according to Christ in that area instead of according to the world? What if you could find balance in your work life so that you could spend time with your kids and love them as they deserve and train them up in the, 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 the love and admonition of the Lord instead of always worrying about do they have the newest iPhone? And students, if you don't have the newest iPhone, I'm sorry. I don't have, well, actually I do now. Anyway, that's what I'm saying. But that's not the focus, is it? What, what, what about if you, for, you went, went without the new car in order to give a little bit more and serve someone else? What, what if? What if? I don't know where you're at. I tried to share with you a place where I've bought in. For me, what does that look like then? Well, it looks like we want to do the ministries that God has called us to, but that is not where our hope is. Our hope is in Christ Jesus, and that even when we don't do things well, we know he's still at work. And even if we don't live up to our own expectations, we know that he is still moving and doing and growing us. That's, that's the perspective that I need to regain and what it will look like for me. So what's, what's that look like in one area of your life? So this morning, I think it is just critically important and it behooves us to understand these truths about Christ that he is fully God, that he fills you, that he frees you, that he forgives you, and that he is victorious. And so he is all you need. Will you trust in him for the first time or in one area of your life again this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness toward us. We thank, us for, thank you for your ways and we thank you for your word. But more than anything, we thank you for your son, Jesus, because we know that in him, we see your fullness in him that we ourselves are filled with all that we need for life and godliness in him. We are free from the fears of death because we've been raised up to new life in him. We're freed and, and, and forgiven from sin in him. We know victory because he has overcome and so help us to, to look earnestly at our lives and, and maybe find one or two places where we are falling prey to the, the reasonable lies of this world. And we're structuring our lives in such a way that we're, we're copying others instead of seeking after our Christ and Savior. Lord Jesus, this morning, soften our hearts, quicken our minds, 
fill our spirits that we might see in you all that we need and begin to abandon the other gods that we've been pursuing. Whether those gods are work or relationships or even, in my case, church ministries, that we would abandon them for the sake of serving and loving and trusting you wholeheartedly. In your name we pray this morning.